This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Asian Insider, a series from The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. We are seeing a very significant change to the status quo in the Indo-Pacific with the advent of a new security partnership linking Australia, the UK and the United States. Basically, in a high-tech defense partnership, which will see Australia eventually field a fleet of eight nuclear-powered submarines, which will vastly increase its reach and power projection across the arena, and also increase Australian maritime forces' interoperability with those of the UK and the US. The acronym for this partnership is AUKUS, or AUKUS. Now, interestingly, two of the countries in AUKUS, Australia and the United States, are also members of the four-nation Quad a quadrilateral dialogue which includes India and Japan. And leaders of those countries will soon have had their first ever in-person summit in Washington, D.C. Now, the Quad is, of course, not a pact. It is a security dialogue between what they call like-minded democracies. Given that these developments are part of the response of Western democracies and regional powers to the, in many respects, aggressively expanding reach of China, Beijing is not amused. But the case can be made that it is Beijing's own actions that have triggered this response. But how does all this fit together? To help understand this, I have two expert guests joining me, one from Canberra and one from here in Washington, D.C. Dr. Carl Thayer is Emeritus Professor of Politics and Visiting Fellow at the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of New South Wales in Canberra. Dr. Thayer, thank you so much for making time to join us today. Thank you, Nirmal. And from here in D.C., Dr. Parna Pandey is Research Fellow and Director of the Hudson Institute's Initiative on the Future of India and South Asia. Dr. Pandey, thank you for making time for this. And in fact, welcome back to Asian Insider. Thank you, Nirmal. Uh, pleasure to be back. Thanks. So, Dr. Thayer, let's start with AUKUS. Australia has been plunged into the news by this bold new move, which is having very wide ramifications, not least in France, affecting that country's relationship with all three AUKUS countries. And of course, it was very swiftly criticized by China as betraying a Cold War-type zero-sum mentality and heralding an arms race. What does this mean for the wider Indo-Pacific? Well, it's given access to the highest levels of technology, not just nuclear uh, power, but we can see in cyber, the quantum uh, computing, and underseas technologies, which have also been flagged as areas of future uh, interoperability. And it does mean that Australia has aligned itself further in opposing China's rise. Uh, we've been suffering terribly from economic coercion. Uh, we can't get anybody to answer the phones, but yet our strategic assessments, if we put them together, uh, are, are more rapid and, and louder in sounding the alarm. A major change has occurred where China has already overtaken the U.S., quantitatively challenging the U.S. qualitative edge and can now strike Australia from long distance. And so those are the realities, plus its attempt at subverting our own democracy and interfering internally that have made China uh, an opponent for us. Interesting. So it's a real game changer, basically. It really enhances Australia's uh, military and maritime capabilities, right? Yes, but we're only looking at one dimension, and it's going to take decades for a nuclear submarine to appear, although our press is now filled with, we're going to have a gap, so we should be renting a Virginia-class submarine, uh, get an American skipper, and half the crew would be uh, uh, 
Americans and the other half Australians, and it's going to be a long learning curve uh, over time. So those are the realities. But as well, that we want more Marines that are going to come passing through Darwin. We're going to be basing American strategic aircraft as they disperse across the Indo-Pacific, be home porting American warships on our West Coast. Uh, All this is uh, going to create a, a larger American footprint in Australia, the likes we haven't seen since the Second World War. Fascinating. Dr. Pandey, it was interesting, I thought, that India's foreign minister, Dr. Jai Shankar, recently in Dushanbe, told his Chinese counterpart, Wang Yi, that Beijing should avoid viewing its bilateral relations with India from the perspective of New Delhi's relations with third countries, obviously talking about the U.S., and that Asian solidarity would depend on examples set by India-China relations. Is India trying to have it both ways and do its old balancing act? And if so, what can it bring to the Quad? Um, thanks, Tinamal. I'd say India, um, sort of, you know, at, at one level will not move away from its, uh, you, you can call it balancing, you can call it strategic autonomy, you can call it multipolarity. Uh, that remains at the heart of India's foreign policy. Um, and Mr. Jashankar actually wrote a book earlier uh, last year in which he basically says that what, you, what India wants to do or the India way is engaging U.S., managing China, cultivating European Union, uh, reassuring Russia, bringing Japan in and serve, drawing in the South Asian neighbors. Um, so sort of multipolarity will remain, which is why uh, what he was trying to sort of in sort of tell his Chinese counterpart was that we will our relationship with you at some level will be uh, sort of different from our relationship with the United States. Now, if we come to Quad, uh, Quad is I, I see Quad as one way in which three treaty allies, which are United States, Japan, and Australia, are trying to bring in the non-treaty ally the country which does not join any military or security agreement, into uh, this arrangement, which is not military or security oriented, but focuses on areas which matter to all four, which is vaccines, for example, um, uh, emerging technologies, uh, climate change, um, supply chains. So it is easier to draw in India into non-military and non-security partnerships or arrangements, um, and yet ensure that India is part of the broader Indo-Pacific. Dr. Thayer, I'd I'd love to hear from you as well about the Quad. I mean, China is obviously alarmed by the Quad, which back in 2017, it sort of dismissed as a quote-unquote headline-grabbing idea, not much more than the sea foam in the Pacific or Indian Ocean, which will soon dissipate. But it hasn't dissipated. In fact, it seems to be coalescing. What are your views of the aspirations and the realities of the Quad and the you know the direction of this particular arrangement. Right, but for the virtual summit, the first virtual summit that was held, I did a detailed analysis of the agenda of all seven uh, Quad meetings at low level and the three foreign ministers. And I had key words and looked at where they were used. And for example, maritime, maritime security and, and maritime cooperation all changed over time. You could see free and open Indo-Pacific giving way to Indian views. Uh, and it's all over the place. And so, as uh, Dr. Pandey has, has, has indicated, uh, the agenda was set. It's global. It's, it's COVID. It's uh, counterterrorism, it's climate change, it's the technologies. And they set up three working groups. 
it has yet to be institutionalized. And even then, it has yet to even work out a common strategy. None of those seven meetings ever issued a joint statement. The foreign ministers finally did. And then we got that very brief statement from the virtual quad. So it's a nascent uh, development that, that's occurring alongside a patchwork. Already there was the trilateral, Australia, U.S., Japan. Now the AUKUS, the word we can't pronounce, uh, and other bilaterals. And so there's a fluidity that's occurring. Uh, and we have to see when they meet with Biden. And then today, Australian press pointed out there will be no meeting of the three AUKUS at, at, at this particular time, so as not to upstage the quad or further inflame Europe, so to speak, although our prime minister will meet separately uh, with each. So it's a fluid development, and the press, and none of us here are guilty, keeps using the word alliance, and that's exactly what it's not. It's not an alliance because India wouldn't uh, go that way. But then beneath it, Australia is now finally admitted to the Malabar exercises, there is bilateral cooperation occurring militarily, looking at logistics and other technical support in a way we haven't really seen before. So those are these strands that are developing out there, but the Quad is not going to be able to direct them. There's no working committee. There's no secretariat. Uh, Australian proposal has been they were willing to host the secretariat. Will it rotate? And then I could just end on that, that so we are at a moment, a pregnant moment, where everything is fluid and there is no depth. There are just these very broad commitments. And I would say, like on COVID, what happened there? India went in remission uh, just at the pregnant moment when it was supposed to be producing these billions of vaccines uh, to assist that Australia would help uh, deliver. I was just going to add that, you know, I um, I agree with Dr. Thayer. What I wanted to add was that um, in the Quad and even in the broader Indo-Pacific, India finds it easier to do bilateral, even on the military side. Uh, Malabar is separate. And if you notice, they will not call it the Quad military exercises, even though it is technically the Quad. Uh, and it took a long time for India to even call it the Quad. It would normally just say US, India, Japan, Australia met. It's very recently that we have started to call it even Quad in our, in our press releases. So we have signed all the military agreements with the United States. We have logistical logistic agreement with Japan, with Australia, with France. But we are reluctant to make it multilateral or even trilateral. We try to keep them bilateral and try, we try to avoid calling them, uh, you know, anything more than a logistics agreement or a military exercise. So we are reluctant. I agree with Professor Thea. We are reluctant to call it to give it an institutional architecture, we are reluctant to make it more than individual or bilateral or trilateral or quadrilateral meetings. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now back to our podcast episode. And now back to our conversation with Professor Carl Thayer and Dr. Aparna Pandey. Dr. Thayer, let me just read out what the Australian government has released on AUKUS, part of it. Australia will get Tomahawk cruise missiles, joint air-to-surface extended-range standoff missiles, long-range anti-ship missiles, collaboration with the U.S. to develop hypersonic missiles, precision strike-guided missiles for land forces, and so forth. So are we in an accelerating arms race in the region? Well, I would point out that all of those uh, missiles, uh, systems that you're talking about, uh, were underway and under discussion long before 
AUKUS uh, was revealed. But of course, those uh, doing the AUKUS discussions would have been aware of them. Uh, and no, it's quite simple that earlier that we didn't want the, the Trump administration to put intermediate range missiles in Australia as part of the strategy of countering China. But the developments in its rear, the driver for us is China's military modernization and moving up a high, to a high level so it can now strike northern Australia uh, from a distance. And then it's submarines. And we've seen some activity in our neck of the woods that makes us concerned, as I'm sure India would be about deployments in the Indian Ocean. So uh, the new U.S. strategy to disperse its forces and for Australia to be interoperable means that we have to be able to carry our own weight. And even though we do everything lockstep and we're now more linked to American technology uh, and will be than ever before, uh, it doesn't we, – we cannot – afford to just use the the the, the air sea gap as we used to call it uh, across us that can be bridged by ballistic missiles and so we're developing we're countering to counterbalance the threat uh, counter counter threat that the china is proposing and when i see some of the regional reactions uh, i i go but why weren't you this upset as china began incrementally uh, developing them uh, when the uh, submersible uh, platforms begin to wash up on Indonesian shores. What are they doing there, um, etc.? So it's defensive, uh, um, but it does mean we can also operate independently if the United States, for some reason, uh, isn't going to be there to the party. We want a sovereign capability to manufacture and not just take them off the shelf from the U.S. So that so we're a stronger. Uh, power to stand up to China, better allied with the United States, of course, but not to be left on the sidelines uh, because we're not keeping up with technology. And do you think this is the long-awaited actual pivot to Asia, which we've been, talk we've been talking about for over a decade? Well, it depends on what you mean by pivot. In one sense, America's fundamental economic interest in the region have never, ever changed. So America hasn't left defending those. Uh, being a global power, it needs that transit by air, sea, and subsurface uh, from Pacific uh, to, to the Straits of Hormuz. It takes them through uh, Southeast Asia. And even in times when it was supposedly diverted under the Bush administration, it was the first country to, to create a, an ambassador to ASEAN to establish a mission there. So it was doing some positive things. But the, the continued attention to the region never was clear. Biden, uh, the Biden isn't necessarily using the word pivot, and we should also point out that that was a Hillary Clinton term, and for a long term, America was, you know, was the, rebalancing to Asia was the preferred term, but pivot uh, took off like a basketball thing, which bemused countries when they tried to translate it. So, uh, what we're what we're recovering from are the Trump years of unilateralism, uh, just ups, upsetting the apple cart, not showing up at high level meetings. And making everybody from day to day wonder, what is the consistency in American policy? And then Biden administration began on paper with its interim national security strategic guidance, at least setting the framework it's due to deliver a national security. But recent events in Afghanistan, the collapse of uh, Kabul, the fall of Kabul, if you will, and this pulling the OXA out of a hat. Um, which is upsetting France, which is an important player in the Pacific. And Dr. Panda had mentioned the India-France 
connection. And we've been developing since 2016 a strategic partnership. And Macron, when he came in the following year, really reinforced it. And part of his peak has to be, is this what you do? Uh, it's like, you know, really having a good relationship with a partner, and then before you go to the altar, saying, I'm, I'm going <laughs> off with somebody else. And France yes. is just furious uh, at that. You should have told yes, us. Indeed. Dr. Pandey, uh, would you like to add something? And also, what are your parting thoughts on the evolution and future of the Quad? So I just like to add, I agree with Dr. Thayer that, you know, France actually is one of the European countries which has, you know, not just former colonial positions, but actually territories in the Indo-Pacific. And it has been quite active even before the British and the German came and Germans came and Europe came. So France has been active. France has old relations and it's understandably upset when it is not informed about decisions. Um, I do believe that it will continue uh, to play its role because Indo-Pacific is critical to France. Um, another point Dr. Thayer made, which is important, is that like Australia, India, while, would, while it's coming close to the US, would like sovereign capability. It would like to manufacture indigenously. Uh, so a lot of India's domestic, uh, you know, defense manufacturing, it would like to do domestically so that it can, it can at the end of the day stand up to the threat from China on the land border and on the sea border. Both of those are important for India. Parting thoughts on Quad. Um, Quad has sustained itself for a number of years initially till India joined and then after India has joined. It's been a few years. A lot has been done between March and now. However, it needs an institutional setup. It needs certain guiding or some, you know, some like countries need grand strategies. This institution needs certain framework or some principles. And just handling COVID, climate change and emerging technologies does not give you a broader framework. And this institution, this, these four countries need that if they want the Quad to, you know, to last 10 years from now. Otherwise, there will be challenges and it will just become one of the BRICS, IBSA, you know, and all the others that we have around the world. Right. Fascinating. Well, uh, we've sort of come to uh, the end of our time. Thank you, Dr. Thayer. Thank you, Dr. Pandey. It was great having you on Asian Insider. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Nirmal. So that wraps this edition of Asian Insider. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Please remember to join me and my expert guests on the fourth Friday of every month. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.